Tim, that was perfect song set. I love that one. What is that one? Uh, the one before. Brethren, we have met to worship. Oh, that was a hot song, wasn't it? Come on, do I hear an amen? amen. All right, I got to put myself together here. I've been wearing a mask because uh, on on uh, on Wednesday I'm going to have a hip surgery. That's why I was sitting too. I don't like to sit, but uh, I don't want to get COVID because then I can't have surgery and then I can't go out and play. So you know I've got my priorities. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. We're, we're talking about the church. And I love that one song about the manna. And, and then we're Christians by our love. And the manna. And uh, working side by side. I don't know about you, but I love the church. I really love the church. It's through the church that my family uh, found Christ. My twin sister's here with us today. So glad to have you. You haven't heard me preach in a long time, have you? A long time. So um, we are in, I'm still trying to figure this one out, in uh, Acts chapter 11. And it's the Antioch example. So if you're there, Acts chapter 11, say amen. You're there? Okay, let's stand at the reading of God's word. It, it truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. This is the authority. This is, this is not a Boy Scout manual. This is the word of God. This is, this is from our Father to us today. Acts chapter 11, starting verse 19. We're going to unpack this together the next couple of weeks together. Acts Chapter 11, starting verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. But some of them, however, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you don't leave us in the dark. You, you let us know your heart and your passion. And then on top of that, you give us your Holy Spirit, the power to obey. This morning, Father, it's no accident that this church has been here 125 years. And the best is yet to come. And we believe that. You are not getting weaker. You are getting stronger. You are almighty. And we are your people. Father, I pray if anyone here this morning... They're struggling their relationship. Today would be that day they say, I am all for Jesus. Anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, they would say, today I want to be his. And the rest of us would be encouraged to be about your business, working side by side. 
Lord, have your way. Make us teachable. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, um, I have a friend. He's a, he, he's a, a good buddy. He's, a, he's like 6'5", and he's like 80 years old, so he was probably 6'7 at one time. First time I ever met him, he came to our church, and we were at a potluck, and he's looking down at me. He says, how tall are you? I said, well, about 5'8". He said, man, I didn't know they stacked baloney that high. And I was like... Uh, who are you again? He talked about one of his churches, and one of the things he said about his church was that um, in the Tri-Cities was so dead when one of the members passed out during the service, the MTs carted out half the congregation before they found the poor fella. And I remember as a pastor um, getting a lot of emails from uh, churchleaders.com, and these were the kind of titles that I got. Titles like Five Warning Signs of Declining Churches, 15 Signs Your Church is in Trouble, The X Factor in Declining Churches, Seven Startling Facts, An Up-Close Look at the Church Today, and on and on it goes. And it seems to be that the, that the church is struggling. It seems like the church is 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 in trouble and then you read the scientific study of religion from sociologists the decline of the church especially churches this size this age are all declining according to these studies and uh, the established church between 40 and 190 years old are all declining churches under 200 are declining but as, and since COVID, if you've read any of the statistics about COVID, we've noticed things have changed, haven't they? And, and what's the reality is that about a third of the people that used to be a part of our church are going someplace else. A third about stayed, and a third of totally disengaged from church altogether. And as I've traveled around, this is this is pretty close to the truth. As I've watched, I hear all this, and it's easy to get down on the church, but there is a big picture here. We're just looking at, like, at the church through the, the western or maybe the Spokane or the inland northwest knothole. But if you put all the knotholes together, there is an incredible thing happening in church. The church we are a part of, and I love this video. Uh, I wanted to show you this, I believe, is the reality of what we're a part of, the church. Could you just show that real quick? It's a pastor explaining. People often say to me, they say, Jay John, you know, what, what do you do? Uh, it's always very difficult to know what to say. Because if I say to you that I'm a reverend, which I am, that conjures up certain images in people's minds as to what I might be. So I like to be a little bit creative in telling people what I do. I sat next to this lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport, and I said, hello. And she said, well, hello. And I said, where are you going? And she says, I'm going to Singapore. Then she said to me, where are you going? I said, I'm going to Australia. I said, what do you do? So she told me. 
Then she said, what do you do? And I said, well, <laughs> I work for a global enterprise. She said, do you? I said, yes, I do. I said, we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world. She said, have you? I said, yes, we have. I said, we've got hospitals and hospices and homeless shelters. I said, we do marriage work. We've got orphanages. We've got feeding programs, educational programs. I said, we do all sorts of justice and reconciliation things. I said, basically, we look after people from birth to death, and we deal in the area of behavioral alteration. <laughs> Wow! And it was so loud, her wow. Loads of people turned around and looked at us. She says, what's it called? I said, it's called the church. Jesus, wow. then we are part of a global enterprise, but not only is it global, it's intergalactic, because it includes everyone that's gone before us. Wow. <laughs> Amen? Amen? We're a part of something incredible, and, and I think what Satan wants us to be is discouraged. Don't you agree? Like somehow we lack the power. Somehow uh, the train has left the station and the church has been left behind. I don't believe it. I do not believe it. I love the church. I love what it can do and it is doing around the world. I still believe there's power in the church. And I believe that we, we're looking around this, this Antioch church and, and it's such a great example of what the church is and can be and what it is around the world and what it can be here in Spokane and up in Colville and wherever the name of Jesus is preached and the good news is preached. So I want us to dig in again, just a couple verses. We're going to dig in, see what this is saying. And I want you to, I want you to say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What do you want? How do you want me to be a part of what you're doing at the end of age is what I believe we're in. I, I don't believe any of us are meant to be on the sidelines. God is calling each and every person to his purposes. So we're going to look at, again, at Antioch Church. And last week we, we saw that they were courageous. It would have been easy for them to go back home to Cyprus and Cyrene. But you look in verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch doing what? Spreading the word. It would have been so easy for them to go back home Keep their mouth shut because they had suffered enough. They were now refugees. But no, despite of the real danger facing them as believers, they went forth and would not keep their mouth 
shut when it came to Jesus. They kept on talking about Jesus. They kept spreading the word. But I want to I go back in there uh, as I'm, again, looking at this passage of Scripture and praying about it. Lord, what are you saying to us? I, and I often ask Scripture questions. And it says, now those who've been scattered by persecution. I began to stop and go, boy, why were they persecuted? I'd never asked that question of this passage before, but why are they being persecuted? Why are my brothers and sisters in Myanmar being persecuted? Why are our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan being persecuted? Why are we being persecuted? Why are they? And, and, and the conclusion I came to from Jesus' words, and we're going to get into that, is the fact that we're different. We're odd. In fact, Peter said we're a peculiar people. And I looked up that word peculiar, and you know what it means? Peculiar. This is what it means. A property or a privilege exclusive to a person. I didn't know that was the definition. Peculiar. In other words, you're peculiar if you belong to a certain group or a certain person. Who do we belong to? What? We belong to Jesus. He purchased us. And so, as we belong to Jesus, we become peculiar. We become odd. We, we can become people who don't fit in because we belong to Jesus. In fact, these people were so peculiar. If you look down here in verse uh, 26, and, and he found him, oh, 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Again, there's the church there in Antioch, just started. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with them, the church, and taught great numbers of people, and the disciples were called. What? They could have been calling them anything. All those dudes from Cyprus. All those dudes from Cyrene. Or those, those guys that are refugees. They could add all kinds of labels. But they labeled them Christians. Because they belonged to Jesus. Who was calling them Christians? Pagans. Pagans looked at these people and said, there is something different about them. They keep talking about this dude named Jesus. They keep talking about him coming, being the son of God, dying, and then raising again. Christians. They will know we are Christians. By our love, by the way we behave. Because we're odd, we're different. Do I hear an amen? amen. Some of you are looking at your spouse and saying, oh yeah, odd. <laughs> so, so here we go. We're looking, oh boy. I knew I was going to get confused on pages. Okay, this, this is what Jesus said. 
I want you to turn to uh, John chapter 15. I don't normally do this, but I'm finding that more and more people in churches are ignorant about how to get around scripture. And that's, that's no bueno. That's not any good. So um, John 15. I could just read it to you or put it up on the screen, but I, I want you to get a tactile feel for the word. John 15. This is what Jesus said about us, about followers. John 15, 18. John 15, 18. It's in the red. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Are you there? Say amen. amen. This is Jesus talking. In verse 18, he says, If the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. That, that is so un-American. Everyone wants to be accepted. No one likes being rejected. Is there anyone here saying, oh boy, I just love it when people don't like me. I can hardly wait till someone rejects me. No! And yet here's our Savior saying, if you're going to be like me, people are going to not just dislike you or like uh, roll their eyes. The word is hate. As Americans, we don't understand this. But when I go to Africa, and when I go to especially Asia, and Myanmar, and Nepal, where they're burning down our churches because we're Christ followers. And I see hate. Jesus said, let's get our eyes back in here. The world hates you. Keep in mind that it hated me first. Now I want you to underline this. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. See, we want the world to love us. But that's not what we're here to be about. Getting some kind of acceptance from the world. As it is, you, this is Jesus saying, you do not belong to the world. I do not belong to the world. Say that with me. I do not belong to the world. I don't know about you, but I like fitting in. And yet my Jesus is saying, Dick, you, you don't belong here. But I have chosen you out of the world. That's that possessive, your mind. You're odd. You're peculiar. You're mine. That is why the world hates you. See, we don't belong, Jesus said. We don't think like the world. We don't act like the world. We don't talk like the world. We don't smell like the world. We don't use our resources. I don't know. One of the things I struggle the most is I am wealthier than most people in the world. The eyes, my eyes really opened up when I went down to Findesine down in Columbia and all these little girls, in the, by the Free Methodist Church, we rescued these little girls, all their mamas are prostitutes in Bogota. 
These are the most precious little girls. We're talking seven, eight, nine. Some of them as young as nine and ten have been sold by their mom. And I'm getting to know these little girls. And they have one computer in, in the beehive. And they're saying through Spanish, uh, we want to see your house. So we go on Google Earth. And we zoom in on my house up in Colville. And they look at it and they go, wow, how many people live in there? And like, Two? How many bedrooms? Four? How many bathrooms? Three? I'm starting to feel about this tall. <laughs> and what's that? Oh, that's, that's a house for both my cars. And what, what's that little building? What's that building behind it? Oh, that's my shop. What, who lives in there? Oh, some of my tools. If there's a thing I struggle about being an American, is I, I believe I'm too materialistic. That's my struggle. We should be different the way we handle our money and our time, the way we talk, the way we treat one another. Everybody has a sunburn now, an emotional sunburn. Have you noticed that? Everybody's so easily offended. And yet, even if we disagree with people, we should be loving on them. I said last week, I, I don't understand churches that mock Inslee. Wrong, wrong, wrong. The dude doesn't know Jesus. Or Pelosi or any right, super right-wing person. They can't know Jesus and be hating on people because God is love. Are you with me here? We're odd. We're different because we belong to Jesus. And he didn't fit in. And neither should we. We don't fit in. I like what Timothy um, Keller said. Let me read this to you. When I read this quote, I was, I was blown away. The early church was strikingly different from the culture around it. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave no one their money and practically gave everybody their body. And then the Christian came along and gave practically nobody their body and gave practically everybody their money. We are an odd group. We are a very odd group. You know, Spurgeon, the dude was a master of grasping a truth and putting it succinctly. He said this, if you have room for Christ, then from this day forth, remember, the world has no room for you. Now, this sounds like bad news, doesn't it? Sounds like, how are we going to reach lost people? How are we going to be solved? How are we going to be light if everybody hates us? Shouldn't we become a little bit more like them? 
so that we're acceptable, so then we can sneak the gospel in? I mean, I've struggled with this as a pastor. How much do we become like the world without becoming worldly? I don't think it's bad news. If you look at this, here, I'm going to give you a phrase. I want you to noodle on it. It's our difference that makes the difference. We are the light of the world. Scripture also says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So we're different. But he says, let it light, let your light show shine before men anyway. Be different. The difference we are makes the difference. If I'm, okay, when I was in college, I was a sociology major. And I was giving the task of on, at the Bond County Mental Health, I gave a class on how to lose weight and keep healthy losing weight, right? I weighed 132 pounds. So I'd walk into that room and there's all these people that were way overweight and they're looking at me like, what? I didn't understand them. And yet, the more I talked, and the things I learned from my mom, and how to eat, they began to go, oh, maybe, maybe this guy might know a few things. It was my difference at first that made him go, ah, but then they go, man, I want that. Are you following me here? And so the difference is actually good news. The gospel, yeah, it's offensive. Sin talk is offensive, but we found out when we lived in um, Belgium, we were totally weird than anybody that lived in our apartment complex, and some people couldn't stand us, but there was other people that were drawn to us because we were so different. And we're able to tell them about Jesus because we were different. Are you tracking with me? It's actually good news. Here's, here's, I don't know who gave this to me. So I can't give credit. But this is not what I, I came up with. I forget. If someone has seen this before, please tell me. There's two triangles that represent our life. And this is like, um, do whatever. It's lifestyle triangle. I'm doing whatever I want, um, and it's, I mean, it's limitless. But once you become a Christian, you, you can't just do whatever you want. And the more, the closer you come to Christ, you know what Jesus said? He said, if you want to be my disciple, you got to deny yourself, take up the cross and follow me. Does this make sense? Does this make sense to you guys? It's not fun denying yourself when everybody around you is doing whatever they want. 
But I'm not preaching this. I'm not saying it. Jesus said it. Deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow me. This is the option of doing whatever I want gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And that may sound like bad news, except if you look at the big picture, why did Jesus come? Did you, not Jesus come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to save sinners, Paul said, and I'm the worst of them all. And so that's what, we don't live for here, we live for eternity. And so it, our lifestyle as a, a non-believer doing whatever they want, first believer, the dude actually was talking about behavior, uh, what was the behavior? Alterations. Jesus radically changes people's lives. Amen? Okay. So, and that's the process of maturing. This is the process of holiness. It's becoming more and more like Jesus who denied himself even the right to breathe air for us. He loved us so much, he denied himself life. And when we become more and more like Christ, we deny ourselves all kinds of stuff because we want to see people know Jesus. And I don't want to be a stumbling block to anyone in the way I talk or my attitude. We Christians, we can be really judgmental. That's just as bad as sleeping around or whatever. We've got to become more like Christ who denied himself and asked him the same thing. But here, here's, the, here's the good news. People down here have no impact, eternal impact, significant impact. But the more you deny yourself, the greater the kingdom impact you have. Think about some of the people in your lives had a huge impact on your life. They inconvenienced themselves to insert themselves into your life and to share their life with you. They denied themselves. The more you do that, the greater the impact. And there will come a day when Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in the thing I've called you to do. Now enter the joy. That's what I'm living for. Amen to that. It's the difference that makes the difference. I'll be honest with you today. With uh, I'm always honest. I think the church in America, I'm including myself in it because there's so many facets of this. We struggle with what I call the concentrated Christian life. Concentrated? You've, you know orange juice, concentrated orange juice? I looked up the word concentrated. It means removing water or other diluting agents. Now, Sheila's dad used to make this juice called bug juice. 
I have no idea what was in that bug juice. And literally, it looked like swill. And he thought it was great fun offering up bug juice. Remember your dad? I have no idea. You'd taste and go, what is this? Is this lemonade? No, no, it's not lemonade. It's not orange juice, and it's not tomato juice. It's not. It was so confusing. I think when the world, and I could be wrong, but I think when the world tastes the church today, we taste like bug juice. Remember when McDonald's tried to sell pizza? You don't remember that? Oh, it didn't last long. <laughs> and let me tell you something. If the church isn't about what it's supposed to be doing, we're not going to last long. And we are about one thing. Well, several things. Loving God, number one. Loving one another, what we sang about today. And making disciples who make disciples neighborhood by neighborhood. Right? That's what we're about. And they taste us, and, and they taste our lives, and they go, whoa, I'm, I don't understand who you're about or what you're, what you're about. The way you use your money is the same way I use my money. The way you talk is the same way I talk. You know, all those things. We've become distracted. But this church, spreading the word, telling them about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I've got a couple questions for all of us. It's between you and the Lord. I'm just here trying to faithfully preach the word, looking at the Antioch church. Why were they persecuted? They were odd, they were different, they were peculiar. My question is, are we peculiar? Last week, the question is, are we courageous enough to speak up? This week, are we different enough that people actually notice that we're different? Different not just because we take an hour on Sunday morning, but we're different, different all the time. Around the water cooler, whatever it may be. Are we different? And are we concentrated enough for people when they taste us, they say, oh, this dude's all about Jesus. Keeps talking about Jesus. Or are we distracted? you to bow your heads, close your eyes, just for a moment. Just It's you and Jesus. The Word and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is here right now. Sitting next to you. He desires so much for his hand to be upon you. Upon your family. 
and to use you, to use this church in, in ways that make the first 125 years seem all worth it. That the first free Methodist church will be faithful to the end. When Jesus returns, ah, there's the first free Methodist church. There's that young family. There's that older couple faithful to the end. Lord, forgive us when we've desired to be accepted by the world and We just want to be accepted by you. We want to please you. We want to be involved in what you've got going on in the world. So Lord, give us courage to be different. That when people taste our lives, they taste Jesus. Forgive us for being distracted. Lord, I know just retiring, it's, it's so easy to think about, oh, I could go and do this, and I could go and do that. That's all fun and, and great, but Lord, it's become a distraction, at least for me. Lord, whatever distractions we face or struggle with, Lord, we just want to right now surrender those to you and help us to be a people concentrated on you. Christians. Christians. In Jesus' name.